What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Jake Podcast. I'm your host, Jake Brainy, and it is 7 o'clock on this Tuesday edition, Tuesday, October 8th edition of the Jake Podcast. Got to get to this one early because I got a big weekend planned. Got a lot going on and uh, going to get to those plans in just a bit. So getting to this one early, uh, we are just past week five in the NFL. We are one week into college football of October, which is like conference play, always fun. I had a big wedding this past weekend for two very good friends of mine, one being my cousin. And uh, yeah, it's, you know what, October is a great month for people who don't think it is, uh, you know, let's educate them because there are a lot of fun things going on in the month of October, especially for sports fans. But just in general, you know, you got like the apple picking, you got the pumpkin picking, you've got the spooky season movies coming out, you've got pumpkin spiced everything coming out. Long sleeve shirts and shorts is like my favorite combo of clothing. So you got that. I'm breaking the sweaters back out. So so yeah, it's October. We're rolling in. We're feeling pretty good, right? So without further ado, let's jump into the podcast. I'll get to that wedding. Uh, the Gabrielli wedding. In Rochester, New York. My first time ever up there. Made a whole whole weekend of it. It was really great. So uh, for those wondering, my cousin Adele got married to her longtime boyfriend, Nick, who uh, you know we're a big fan of in this family. The Brainy family was happy to bring him in. Uh, Nick and I get along really well. He's a fantasy football guy. He's never been able to win the big game, but you know, well, it's okay. It's fine. Uh, but he's a football player, rugby player. He's he's an athlete, and he's got my respect. I like him, and I welcome him to the family. And uh, he sure knows how to throw a party. His nickname's Party Boy, uh, Mr. Worldwide, Mr. 305, Dale. So we're excited to bring Nick into the family. And uh, little did I know until you know he let me know a, a little ahead of time how big his family was. So it was, wasn't just Nick coming into a big family, the Brainy family, but it was Adele going into the Gabrielli family, a very big family indeed. So uh, the weekend started off a little early for us because since we're going to Rochester, we thought, you know what, why not take advantage of this and go see other things in you know Western New York? I've never been to Buffalo and I've never been to Niagara Falls. So uh, when my parents told me that they were going to take an early day and go to Niagara Falls first before the uh, rehearsal dinner, I thought, you know, this is an opportunity I shouldn't pass up because when are you really going to get opportunities to go to Niagara Falls? It, it, you won't. You have to plan your own trip to do that. So not only did I do that, but I carved out an extra day. And uh, m- uh, my girlfriend and I, Sam, we drove up through the rain. It was a terrible drive, but through the rain, went to Buffalo, tried a couple Buffalo Wing places, and including the original, which was Anchor Bar, and uh, which I thought was okay. I thought it was cool. They had a lot of stuff on the walls. Uh, I, I appreciate them for inventing the Buffalo Wing, which is a very cool story. They started by, they would serve chicken wing soup, and they dropped the chicken wings into soup, and and that was kind of like their, like their thing. But instead, they didn't have time to make the soup or they didn't have like the ingredients to make the soup or whatever. And people were hungry, so they just slathered the chicken wings in sauce and people ate them up and people loved them. And they thought, wait a minute, this isn't just the throwaway part of the chicken. This could be its own meal in itself. So th- that's how it got made. That's how it got invented. Anchor Bar claims to be the inventor of it. And and from what you look online and from what, what I read around, that seems to be the case that everyone kind of agrees with that. There's some... 
uh, contention for the title uh, of who invented it, but that seems to be the uh, you know the resounding choice of who actually invented it. Uh, but not my favorite wing. I thought it was I thought it was fine, fine chicken wing. But when we went to Gabriel's Gate, also in Buffalo or like the outskirts of Buffalo or whatever, uh, boy, that was phenomenal. Uh, great sauce, like number one Buffalo wing sauce I've ever had. I don't even know if what they do to it. If they, but it felt like they added some heat. It wasn't just straight buffalo sauce, and uh, the rings, the wings were crunchy. Uh, it, I, it, it, I, one of them I bit into, and I go, "Wow, that's the best wing I've ever had." So, you know, right off the bat, I'm like, "Here we go. We made the right choice." This was Nick's um, recommendation to go there because he's from the area, and he said, "If you're going to go to a place, you got to go there." I looked up a couple other places as well, and then just it just the idea was, you know what, Th this makes too much sense to go to this one. So we went, we loved it. We met up with my parents at Anchor Bar. We had a great time, and then we drove to Niagara Falls. At Niagara Falls, had a nice dinner. Uh, got to, and, and then the next morning we did a whole big thing of traveling behind the falls, where you're going in these caves behind the falls and getting to stand right next to them. It was very cool. Um, and then we jumped on the Maid of the Mist, like Jim and Pam Halpert, and uh, no one, no one got married there, but jumped on the Maid of the Mist, got to uh, go around in the water. It was it was pretty chilly. The water was really spitting at you, but you got a really close up view of the falls. It was a very cool time, and uh, all five of us, my girlfriend, uh, my parents, my sister, and I. All really loved it, and uh, it was such a blast. And I'm so glad we carved out the time to go see it, and uh, it was just definitely worth it. Got a couple of nice pictures, a really fun weekend to start off, and that's before the wedding that came in, which was amazing. Friday night we go to the rehearsal dinner at a place called the Jack Rabbit Inn or Jack Rabbit Club. It was the food there was incredible. It, the way they set up the rehearsal dinner, I'm like, that's how you do a rehearsal dinner. They had open tables. They had it was like a buffet line, but it was like fancier food for a buffet. Meat and cheese plates. Uh, they had like a dessert table, and they just had like a pick your own table. There's no assigned seating, and uh, once you get your food, the roast begins, and that's what the Brainy family has learned through my cousin Brian Garrity. Well, a cousin-in-law, he married into the family, married Adele's older sister, Julie. And in Garrity's family, they started the roasts at the rehearsal dinner. And at their wedding, there were so many roasters from his side prepared. Like his older brother, Tim, had a video um, and they had PowerPoints. And it was just something where I was like, okay, they um, this is something they do. And at the time, I was only 20 years old. But I knew someone from the Brainy Cousins had to step up and say something because this was overwhelmingly Garrity favorite. Uh, and I thought, you know what? We need someone to represent the Brainies. I got up. I spoke a little bit. I roasted Brian because it's hard to – it's really hard to roast your cousins, especially, you know, girls like Julie and Adele who are, like, really cool and really chill. It's, you know, it's hard to roast them. But I roasted Brian, told, uh, told everyone about the first story when he was hanging out at Christmas and we're like, who's this, you know – weird guy we don't know that's uh hogging guitar hero you know that's how long ago it was but uh it, it was all fun and games and i think everyone appreciated it so knowing that i was like i have to roast again i gotta get up there and i know nick so much more than i i've known really 
anyone that has married into the family. Uh, and and I was like, okay, so this is my opportunity because I've known Nick for you know like six, seven, eight years now. So I, I got this in the bag. Uh, and a lot of the roasters were actually coming from Nick's side. So I, I did need to balance it out because there were no other Brainy Cousins that roasted. So I got up there, told a little story about uh, Nick begging to come on vacation because if you've been around him, I mean, oh my God, he will not shut up about going on the Brainy family vacation. Like you, like the kid just, he, 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 I mean, I get it. He loves us. He thinks the world of us. And I really appreciate that. But like, I won't, you know, pathetic is not the word I want to use. But I will say, uh, no, I don't want to say desperate. That's also mean. I won't say anything at all. I'll just keep my mouth shut. No, I'm, I'm teasing Nick, obviously. He's been dying to come on this Brainy family vacation. He's heard about it so many times, and he's often left home in Cleveland twiddling his thumbs as Adele goes parties for a week with her cousins. Uh, but this year, Nick came. He was a rookie. He did not make the Sunday sauce. I didn't let him hear the end of that because, you know, this guy's apparently this great Italian cook. And I told his parents... With the microphone in my hand, I told his parents, I'm like, hey, your son apparently is a Sunday sauce king, and he didn't and he didn't make it. What gives? And everyone in the room was like, ooh, Nick, that's a big strike. I didn't realize I was going to strike a chord with that many people, but it, you know, it, it, it hit home. And then, of course, I brought up that in fantasy football, he uh, had a chance to win the championship over his now wife, Adele. But Adele was, because Adele was starting Todd Gurley and Todd Gurley was sitting out that game. So he told her, hey, Adele, you're starting Todd Gurley. He's going to get zero. Maybe you want to make a substitution. She brought in CJ Anderson, started CJ Anderson, ended up beating him by just enough. And uh, that just shows the character of guy he is, that he was willing to sacrifice a perfect season, not just a championship, a perfect season uh, for his wife. Wonderful guy. Just great guy. Uh, so the roast was a lot of fun. Obviously, I told that like quick story, and I think I kept it brief. I think I kept it like quick enough that I kept people wanting more. Uh, I never went too far into it where people got bored, and uh, I think I'm getting used to this whole roasting thing. Maybe 86 episodes of the Jake has me uh, figuring out timing of things, and has me figuring out exactly how long I'm talking for too long, uh, and especially since I usually these podcasts are an hour long. Well, I'm always talking too long. But the rehearsal dinner outside of the roast, it was, I mean, the roast was fun, but the food was amazing. Uh, you had like Parmesan baked chicken. You had this um, uh, spare rib. No, not spare rib. It, w- it was like a short rib, sorry. Short rib bolognese, like short rib rigatini bolognese, uh, rigatoni. And, uh, and, and the best thing were, was this like, lentil uh and like that was the rigatoni yeah that was the rigatoni no that was the tortellini the lentil tortellini bad radio my bad but regardless two pasta dishes were amazing they had beef they had chicken they had a good salad they had the meat and cheese plate they had the desserts uh, all in all just an amazing rehearsal dinner then we went out afterwards to the bar at the hotel where basically everything took place because the wedding was there the brunch was there. The after party was there. Everything was at this hotel, which was great because it was nice and easy to get to. And I uh, got to see a lot of the cousins. All but one uh, were there for this. It was uh, it was a really great time. Then comes the wedding day. Wedding day was great. Uh, Adele was beautiful. Nick was looking sharp. Uh, my sister and my cousin Kate and my cousin Julie were all bridesmaids. Uh, they looked great. And, and everything was just such a really nice day. 
and you know, everything was just done so well. The wedding itself was packed. So many people. Food was good there too. And uh, the dancing was where it was at. Because everyone was on the floor. Sam and I were on the floor a lot. Even though our feet were killing us, we wore stupid dumb shoes the whole time. Big mistake on Jake's part. Hand up. My bad. Wore dumb shoes. That's on me. Um, and uh, another thing that was on me, I knew that there was an opportunity to play the bottle. To spin the bottle in the middle of the dance floor and get people dancing. Unfortunately, uh, there was a bit of a wetness on, on the floor. Like some type of uh, liquid, maybe. and and Or someone maybe tripped me. That's, that's probably what happened. Someone probably tripped me. Uh, because after I danced to start the circle, uh, it, it quickly turned south when I, I was definitely tripped and fell and embarrassed myself. Now, I gave the immediate thumbs up. When I was on the ground, I gave the thumbs up. I was like, don't worry about me. Continue the fun. Look away. Please don't look at me. I am fine. Thumbs up. Please look away. Because, <laughs> yeah, I, I've, I've been known to be clumsy in the past. This was not my most shining moment. Uh, the circle did not live much longer after this. Uh, I could just imagine in my mind at that time the faces of my friends Bill and Brendan and Pat and the guys back home where I'm like, oh my God, if they could see me now slipping and falling on the dance floor as I'm dancing and, and spinning the bottle. There was definitely a wetness. I will say that there were a couple broken bottles throughout the night that had to be cleaned up. So there was definitely a wetness on the floor. Uh, Sam laughed at me too. That that hurt a little bit. That hurt. Uh, but later in the night, I made up for it when I was on the floor dancing to shout. And wouldn't you know it? There must have been like a like a a rogue knife or or scissor or something because something uh, during shout at the little bit softer now part ripped a giant uh, gash in my pants. I don't know. I don't know what else would have happened. Uh, it is very unlike me to rip my pants dancing. It has only happened to me three times in my entire life, so I don't think that that could have happened uh, to this this uh, situation. Uh, it doesn't sound like me for my pants to rip while dancing to shout, but uh, regardless, you know that shit happens and. Uh, and whatever it was that caused me to slip and fall might have been the same thing that caused me to uh, rip my pants while dancing to shout. So, uh, hey, you know what? You live and you learn. And then sometimes you don't learn. Sometimes you just live. That's that's all I can say. Sometimes you just live. And uh, I had a great time at the wedding. That's all I'm going to say. Pants or no pants. I had a great time at the wedding. Split my pants. Whatever. That's what you get for dancing. Uh, that's what you get for, you know, being the life of the party. It's what I do. It's what I do how it is. But it was a great wedding. Uh, everyone had a blast. The drive home wasn't all that bad because I uh, spent it, you know, talking football and talking parties and talking everything with Sam. So we had a great time. And uh, I, I this this sums up wedding season. That was my last wedding of the year. Went to six this year. A couple in destination spots. My cousin Dean's was in Cape Cod. Adele's was in Rochester, you know, Western New York. Uh, my friend Luke Iannacones was in California, in Napa. 
and I've made made those three into vacations, as well as my buddy Charlie's wedding, which was also local, uh, which was nice and really nice in in uh, in Red Bank, and uh, of course Sam's brother Matt's wedding earlier this summer, uh, which was also local and was able, you know, we went out in Asbury afterwards, which was super cool. It was a big year, big year of weddings, uh, time to, you know, chill out a little bit. Cause I got six again next year and, uh, including, you know, four of my really good friends, my cousin and, uh, and then one of Sam's best friends who she's a, my, a bridesmaid for. So you got a big, big year of weddings. But before that, I got a big trip coming next weekend, and then a bachelor party the weekend after that. Going to get to those in a little bit, but first, uh, I want to do a little, a, a little rundown, a little breakdown. We got baseball going on, play, baseball playoffs. Indians shot themselves in the foot. Just going to address it. Just going to say it. It's over. Um, they shot themselves in the foot with the playoffs on the line, but as quickly as they shot themselves in the foot, the Twins were swept by the Yankees, and you know what? As much as I hate the Yankees, it felt pretty good to see the Twins get swept. I, I hate the Yankees. I really do. But it felt good seeing the Twins get swept out of the playoffs and really not be in any of the game. Like, the the first two games were tight for a couple innings, and then the Yankees really put, put it on them. And then the last game was 5-1. So it was really never in doubt. Yankees kind of made very easy work of them. And I hate... The Yankees, one of my least favorite teams in all of sports, but uh, I do appreciate them for making quick work of the Minnesota Twins and taking them out of their misery. In other news, you know the Astros—they uh, did not sweep the Rays, which I was kind of hoping they would too, because I really don't want any magic from any team this year. So, uh, you know, the the Rays got super lucky down the stretch, and uh, everything was kind of falling their way, and I just was a little jealous. I didn't want it happening to any other team. That wasn't the Indians. Uh, when it comes to small market teams, yes, I like to see them do good. But if it's at the expense of my small market team, no, I want them gone. So I'm rooting for the Astros to pummel the crap out of them and then beat the shit out of the Yankees in the next round. And then, you know what, go to the World Series and and I don't know. I, I, I don't really like Alex Bregman, but the rest of the Astros I don't have any problem with. Um, and then in the NL, Milwaukee's out. Uh... Dodgers seem to be kind of like on a very clear path to the World Series. I wouldn't mind Astros-Dodgers round two. I think that'd be cool. And uh, the Braves and, and Cardinals are in a game five. Uh, those are always fun. Maybe uh, maybe get like a walk-off scenario. You had a you had a walk-off sack fly from Yadier Molina to force game five. So, uh, you know, I don't really have a dog in that fight. So maybe a... Uh, like a you know all-time postseason moment, that's what I'm rooting for. So sometimes that includes a walk-off. So uh, any in any case, I'm thinking Astros Dodgers uh, rematch. That's what I'm rooting for. I think it's going to be Yankees Dodgers instead, just because I have a bad feeling that this isn't going to be a peaceful baseball playoff for me. But that's that's baseball roundup. Not going to go into it too much because uh, what I really need is I need to jump into the NFL, right? Look, it's it's week five. Week five just ended. Week six is starting. The Cleveland Browns are two and three, where a lot of people thought they would be. 
no one really saw them being four and one. So that two and three, three and two range is pretty much where everyone saw them because one and four would be super disappointing, especially since the Jets was one of their first games. So obviously they're going to take that one. But they've gone through their ups and downs. Uh, basically, they haven't won or they haven't had a streak yet. They lost their first game against the Titans where it was a very humbling performance. They had 18 penalties. They played like crap in the fourth quarter. They got desperate and started throwing the ball away. They couldn't block Baker. And for as close as a game it was going into the fourth, they pissed it all away. And there was a lot of finger pointing. There was a lot of name blaming. And there was a lot of, you should have did this. You should have did that. You shouldn't have been on commercials. Regardless, it was a humbling experience. They come back week two, Monday Night Football. They beat the Jets pretty easily. The Jets weren't a good team. It was the right team to play at that time because the Browns just needed to get a victory. So they got the win, one and one. Next weekend, Sunday Night Football, LA Rams. They play them tight. They lose 20 to 13. They had their chances. You know, they, uh, um, there was a fourth and, you know, they, they had two drives that stalled and ended up being turnover on downs in Rams territory. One of them was a fourth and nine where they p- pulled a draw. Uh, the play calling, a lot of people criticized, even though it was like 50, 50 on good plays, bad plays. Uh, a lot of people forgot that the Browns actually had good play calling that game. They just went away from it and had some super terrible calls later in the game especially when they had first and goal from the four looking to tie the game. They didn't run it once. Baker had some bad reads where he didn't hit an open Jarvis Landry. He uh, flushed out of the pocket after like a kind of just a miscommunication and threw an interception to end the game. But regardless, they were one and two and they were hanging with the Rams. Then week four, they blow out the Ravens. It was awesome. It was a tight game for the first half, and then they really just stuck it to them. They stuck to their guns where they ran the ball hard. They rushed the passer well. They forced Lamar Jackson to make some bad throws. We shut up a lot of those Baltimore fans who are in our mentions for no reason uh, this whole offseason and beginning of the season to get to 2-2, two and two, tied for the lead in the division. Then this week happens another humbling experience. They go to San Francisco. And the Niners beat the crap out of the Browns 31-3, to doing exactly what the Browns are supposed to be doing. Hammering the ball on the ground, letting the, pl- the, the passing game work off of the run. A lot of play action, a lot of quick screens, a lot of throws when you didn't expect throws to be coming. And uh, that worked for them offensively. They moved the ball down the field at will because the Browns' defense was gassed. Hint, you want your O-line going forward and your D-line going forward. So that means you want to be pass rushing and run blocking. So it was a frustrating game. The Browns got behind early after a Matt Breida 80-yard, 80-something-yard touchdown to start the game. Uh, he was like, a, he, he shot out of a cannon and uh, it was just downhill from there because we got desperate early. Right after that touchdown, Baker Mayfield throws an interception. Uh, Browns go down 14-0, and it was like we didn't even complete a pass yet. We tried to heavily involve Odell Beckham, but you know, being down, the Browns you know, went to the passing game, and Baker tried to make too much happen, and Freddie and Munkin, I don't really know what is going on there, that they're like having this struggle of the 
quick passing game turns into the longer passing game. And against this Niner team that I think is for real, with a for real pass rush, it, it just wasn't going to work. It wasn't going to work, and uh, they the Niners got to do exactly what the Browns got to do against the Ravens. And uh, except that the Niners got to do it for four quarters, whereas the Browns did it for about a quarter and a half and still got a 15-point victory. You know, Niners got a 28-point victory. So regardless, I don't think this makes or breaks the Browns' season. Uh, I think all this tells us is what we know about the Niners, they can play from the lead and they are a good defense. Uh, let's see how they do playing from behind because I don't think they're going to be that good of a team. But I do think they have a legit defense. I do think they have a legit running game. Uh, we'll see how they do if they play in a shootout. We'll see how they do if they have to come from behind. But for now, Niners, they've answered every test you can ask of and they're 4-0. The Browns, I think we know this. When they are playing their game, they're going to be hard to beat. But if they get out of their game, things are going to get bad fast. I, I'm, I'm not scared of saying that. Baker Mayfield is having a rough go of it so far. This was his worst career game by far. He was 8 of 22, 100 yards passing, uh, two interceptions, even though one of them was like slightly underthrown and uh, Sherman was able to make a really nice interception uh, and, and he had pressure on him at the time. And the second one was all Antonio Callaway's fault. Baker put it exactly where it needed to be on the goal line. It would have made the game 14 to 10 and hopefully take that into the halftime being only down four. Instead, it popped up in the air off of Callaway's fingertips and knee and Kwan Williams, yeah, Kwan Williams, brings it back to the 49-yard line and the Niners score a touchdown before halftime, 21-3, and the route was on. It was, a, it was a huge turning point in the game, and that interception shouldn't be on Baker. He had Cush in his lap. He made a perfect throw. If he catches that, we look at that as a hell of a highlight and, um, for Baker and just an easy catch for Callaway, and instead, you know, you know Freddie tries to take blame for it. Everything went haywire. It was it was a bad look. It was, uh, I don't know. And then after the game, Richard Sherman's talking shit about Baker Mayfield, saying he's uh, you know immature and he has no respect for the game and he didn't shake my hand. Then video comes out that Baker Mayfield did shake his hand. Uh, and, and meanwhile, Mike Silver is reporting that a lot of the Niners had problems with Baker Mayfield, even though DeVorce Buckner said, like, oh, I don't know, I just guess that's his game and it was really just bosa and uh sherwin no what's his name whatever um and and, and i was gonna say sherwin williams because i think kwan williams and richard sherman but uh so richard sherman joey bosa had problems with them richard sherman has problems with a lot of guy a lot of guys joey bosa he played at ohio state and after a sack on baker he did the plant the flag celebration and it was pretty cool, I guess, if if you're if you're a Niners fan, and it sucked a lot if you're a Browns fan. Um, there are some Browns fans out there that are like, "Ooh, I have mixed feelings on this because I love Ohio State so much." But it's like, first of all, you suck as a Browns fan if you're like, "Oh, I have mixed feeling that this player that used to play for my favorite college team beat me and uh, is kicking my ass and is making like making us look bad," like. Nick Bosa, for better or for worse, he quit on Ohio State. 
He made a business decision. Everyone that wants to defend him says that. That's fine, but he still quit on the team. That doesn't change that fact. He was part of a team that was supposed to challenge for a national title, and he just said, you know what, I'd rather not. And, you know, if you're a fan and you don't want to hold that against him, that's fine. I don't care. Like, it's it's your prerogative. But why this, like, mixed feeling? It, it just makes you a, a lesser of a Browns fan, in my opinion, if, like, this Nick Bosa-ness isn't bothering. If I mean, does Eli Apple getting a pick six to, you know, kill Baker, would that not bother you as a Browns fan? Or how about Michael Thomas if the Saints run all over the Browns and, and the Browns lose a tough game because Michael Thomas had 186 yards through the air and two touchdowns? Like, would that be like, oh, well, it's Michael Thomas, so I'm not mad. Whatever. I, that I, I'm just, I guess maybe I'm too big of a Browns fan to let any, you know, po- ex-player of a certain college team bother me. I mean, good Lord, if Manti Teo, the, the moment, if he was drafted by the Steelers, the moment he's a Stealer, he's my enemy. Uh, I, don't know, I don't get it. I'm usually pretty good at understanding these things, but that I didn't get. But... This whole Niners thing is really weird. It's Mike Silver driven. It's Richard Sherman driven. Uh, it's national media driven. Like the guys, like you know, I mean, Colin Cowherd probably had a field day today. I'm sure he loved this. But this doesn't make the Brown season. It's only the fifth game. They have eleven more. And if you've been paying attention to what I've been saying, the eleven more they have include Denver, include Pittsburgh twice, Cincinnati twice includes Miami and Arizona. That's seven games that they should win, that they should realistically go into and win those games. They also have Baltimore at home. They also have Buffalo at home. Okay, Those are their last nine games after they play the Seahawks and, and, and Patriots. If they just win one of these next two games against the Seahawks and Patriots and they go into that final nine at three and four, I still think they can win ten games. 10 and 6. Go go 10 and 6. It's just we always knew that this was going to be the tough part of the season. We always knew that 4 and 2 at the bye was the best they could do and 3 and 3 everyone would be really happy. 2 and 4 sky isn't falling, but they need to move fast. <coughs> Excuse me, sorry. I just think Browns fans, buckle up. We have a couple more tough weeks, but after we're done with the Patriots, if we get through that at three and four, and we beat Denver to get to four and four, we just need to get that. We just need to get to Denver at three and four, beat Denver, go four and four, and then for the back eight, I think we can seriously do damage. I think we can beat the crap out of a lot of teams and be a very good football team. We just need to work some things out and stick to our guns and not be at each other's throats. So far, so good. We're not at each other's throats. There are no fights. Uh, Every Giant fan that wants to see Odell implode, guess what? He hasn't done it. It doesn't seem like it. He's trying to rally the troops. He says all the right things about Baker and Freddie. On the sideline, you see him. He's not kicking shit. He's not throwing stuff. He's rounding the troops. They're down 14-0. And he says, hey, listen, guys. And you can see him rounding up the offense. He says, let's go. We got this. Stay calm. He He was being the veteran presence. It was remarkable. It was awesome. It didn't work tonight or last night, but it will help them in the future. They are still gelling. Baker Mayfield has played his 19 pro games. Relax. Okay? Everyone, 
just relax. All right. So that's enough about the Browns. There's a lot to get to in the NFL, right? Yeah, that's how I think about the Browns. But the rest of the AFC North, very winnable right now. Ravens are just 3-2, and two, and they're three wins. Pittsburgh, Cincinnati, no, not Cincinnati, Arizona, and Miami, okay? The Browns played those three teams. They haven't played them yet. They are going to. Who the Browns lost to? Well, they lost to the Titans. Ravens don't play them, but they play the Colts. Oh, no, they play the Texans. I'm sorry. They play the Texans. Okay. Browns lost to the Rams. Ravens don't have to play them, too. And then we lost to the Niners. Oh, Ravens have to play them, too. Okay, so those three losses, Ravens have those coming. Okay? Both teams still have to play the Patriots. You know, both teams still have to play the Buffalo Bills. But we still get to play Miami and Arizona. And we still get to play Pittsburgh twice. Okay? Ravens have a couple of their easy games out of the way. Whereas the Browns, we got a lot of our easier games coming. So we just need to stay in the puncher's chance mode of within two games. Because we already have their tiebreaker. And if we beat them in week 16, that's another game we get to make up and we keep that tiebreaker. So I'm not worried about the AFC North yet, especially since the Steelers are 1-4 and four and the Bengals are 0-5. And, and the Steelers are on their third string quarterback and the Bengals are in tank mode. I ain't worried about the Ravens. We're going to get our shot at them. And we're going to clean up those second half games. All right, but around the NFL, we got a couple surprising teams. Niners being 4-0, yeah, that's a bit of a surprise. Um, you know, you look at their schedule and you say, okay, injured Ben Roethlisberger, Bengals, uh, Tampa Bay Week 1, Browns hitting the road. Not crazy that they're 4-0, but, um, you know, they do look like a playoff team. Uh, I think if they stick to the, what works for them, they could make the playoffs. I had them going 9-7 and seven and just missing the playoffs before. I think now that they're 4-0, I think 10-6 and six is very possible for them and uh, wouldn't be surprised if that's how they end up. Uh, I kind of think they do. They haven't played an NFC West game yet, and I think we're going to learn that, look, Seattle and the Rams are both better than the Niners. You know, Seattle's 4-1 and one right now. Rams are 3-2 and two with uh, a couple, you know, Rams have played some tough games. But I like those teams ahead of the Niners in the end of it all. But still, Niners have looked pretty good. Bills are another surprising team. They're 4-1 with their only loss to the New England Patriots. Uh, they play tight games. They keep on winning you know, by very small margins. Uh, but you know what? They are a scrappy bunch. They got a really good defense. And their offense moves the ball well enough that they're not going to make too many mistakes they're always going to be hanging around in the game and they look like a team also destined to make the playoffs because they still get to play Miami twice they get to play the Jets one more time uh I I forget they oh they play the Redskins that's an easy game so when you add up these games that they still have left you know people are saying they've got like five more cupcakes and they're already four and one that's looking like a wild card team I think like the Niners the Bills this Early good start has really helped them set up for a playoff run. And then, of course, and this one's a little crazy, there's a lot of 3-2, and two, a lot of 2-3 and three teams. Big jumbled mess. But the Raiders have been a nice surprise to me. They're 3-2. and two. 
one of their losses is the Chiefs. Okay, and you know what the the Chiefs are the Chiefs. We know who they are. They're going to be one of the best offenses in the league. They got Pat Mahomes. They're awesome. So you look at that. Outside of that game, they're three and one, right? You know, they they are going to have some tough road games ahead of them. But they just won in London over the Bears. And uh, I know the Bears are backup quarterback, but I'm not so sure Chase Daniel is any worse than Mitch Trubisky right now. Uh, that was a huge win for them, and it really kind of put them on the map that they beat Indianapolis and Chicago in back-to-back weeks on the road. So I look at that and say, you know what? Maybe this Raiders team, maybe getting rid of Antonio Brown, maybe they don't need him. They didn't have Tyrell Williams, and they still beat the Bears, putting up 24 points. They run the ball well. They have a good run-blocking team. And uh, I don't know. I think the Raiders uh, can definitely make some noise in the AFC. I uh, especially since the Chargers don't look like anything special, uh, and and the Denver Broncos, uh, it, it seems like Denver's been quite the unlucky team so far. But regardless, Raiders I think are uh, are a competing team. Yeah. So you know Raiders. Sorry for the interruption there. Raiders. Another surprising team to me. I think they're going to be able to compete. Um, now, the most impressive thing that this NFL season has going on is certainly the tank race. I don't know if Tua is the right player to tank for. I don't know if 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 it's Justin Herbert or if it's maybe Chase Young. But there are four teams that are really trying to tank. And it is going to be a fun race. The Dolphins, the Jets the Redskins, and the Bengals are all winless. And frankly, I could see any of them going 0-16. Now, uh, in order, the Dolphins just, they are not competing. They're just not playing competitive football. They have traded off most of their good players, and they have made it clear that they don't intend on really competing with anyone. Uh, the Jets are the next one. They've, they've faced some bad luck so far. Their lowest... Basically in every offensive category, but Robbie Anderson missed some time. Uh, Darnold has been out sick, and uh, and then immediately after Darnold going down, Simeon went down, and they've been on a third-string quarterback, so you can't really compete with that. Meanwhile, both teams have been playing you know better teams. Like they both got trounced by the Patriots, and uh, you know not much you're gonna you're not gonna do there. Uh, next up is the Redskins, who. After playing a competitive week one game with the Eagles, have really hit the tank button. They just fired Jay Gruden in a hilarious fashion, inviting him in at 5 a.m. Uh, which, if you haven't seen this uh, hot seat segment with him uh, and Chris Cooley when he was he did his show that they turned into a different name, and and Jay Gruden was always still like acknowledging that it was still the hot seat segment. It's a really funny clip. You got to check it out. But the Redskins. They seem to be embracing the tank big time. And then the fourth team is the Cincinnati Bengals, who I think they're actually a more competitive team than those three. And uh, I think they're going to win a couple games here and there. But they suck too. So the crazy thing about these four is that the Dolphins play the Jets twice, they play the Redskins this week, and they play the Bengals in week 16. So... If the Dolphins want that top pick, it's really going to be theirs for the taking. Um, 
the Jets play the Dolphins twice. Um, they play the Redskins as well, and they play the Bengals as well. So like, it, it's it's pretty crazy. So the Jets and the and the Bengals or Jets and Dolphins are going to get their opportunities. I think the Dolphins are going to end up getting the number one pick because they are just not fielding a competitive team. I think the Jets, once they return some of their injured players, you know, people are going to realize, oh, they they have a talented group of players. They're not going to the playoffs this year because they're 0-4 already, but uh, I do think that um, they will turn around and get some wins on the schedule, so I don't think they're getting the tank. And it will come down to this week's game, Dolphins-Redskins, which I saw somebody mention that they should flex it out to Sunday Night Football, and frankly, I think that's a great idea. I think everyone would want to see that. But the tank season is on. It's pretty great to see the Browns not involved in the tank. Um, it, it's just it's a, it's a very refreshing experience knowing that, hey, there are some bad football teams. My team isn't one of them. And the other thing is, too, when the Browns were drafting first overall and they had the second overall pick before they had the first overall pick two years in a row, um, they traded it, but whatever. Um you know, it seemed like when they were the first overall pick both years, they really were running away with it. You know, this is going to be a race. This is going to be fun. You know, because even with those four winless teams, you got the win-win Denver Broncos, one-win Pittsburgh Steelers, one-win Atlanta Falcons, one-win Arizona Cardinals. There are some bad teams. You know, there there are like eight teams at the bottom right now that it's like they all think they should have the number one pick. And uh, somebody's going to be really disappointed when they miss out on some of these guys. So uh, it'll be interesting. But I, I have a power ranking. You know, this is everyone's played four games now with the, the Niners beating the Browns last night. It was their fourth game. So everyone has at least surpassed their quarter mark in the year, which I think it's a good time to do my first NFL power ranking. So starting with 32, and I'll try to make this as quick as possible because, you know, let's, you know, I, I, I don't need to go too far into this stuff. I know people like to hear everything I have to say about NFL teams, but I think getting into it too much would be uh, a little a little bit, a little draining. Okay, so number 32, I have the Miami Dolphins. Like I said before, they are just not competing with anyone right now. They are 0-4, and frankly, they're one of the worst football teams I have ever seen play. Number 31, the Washington Redskins. Again, they're 0-5. They're quickly approaching the heels of the Miami Dolphins of just a team that does not want to compete. Um, they, to me, are the second-worst team in the NFL. Moving up, we got the New York Jets at 0-4 as my 30th best team. Again, injuries is a big part of why they're down here. I expect them to win a couple games, still draft top 10, but I don't think they're nearly as bad as these teams at the bottom, especially those two. But for now, they have been the third worst team in the NFL. Number four, or I should say 29, the Cincinnati Bengals at 0-5. Again, they had a tight game with the Seattle Seahawks. They then got trounced by everyone else that they've played, including the one-win Pittsburgh Steelers. I don't think they're going to win many games, but on paper they shouldn't be this bad, should they? Does O-line matter that much? Maybe. Uh, I do think the Bengals are a top, you know, top five pick when it's all said and done. Not number one. Number 28, Arizona Cardinals. They did just beat the Cincinnati Bengals for their first win of the season. Uh, it was a field goal in overtime. 
I think Kyler Murray and Cliff Kingsbury is worth the investment, but right now it's not going to lead to a lot of wins, especially in the NF NFC West where you're going to lose a lot of games. Okay, 27. I have the New York Giants, okay? A little out of place here. You know, they're 2-3, and three, so but I don't think they're as good as their record would indicate right now. Uh, if not for a Tampa Bay missed field goal, which was kind of a chip shot at the end of the game, they'd be 1-4, and four, and, you know, Tampa would be possibly 4-1. and one. But I think uh, this is a good spot for them. They're not that bad. They're not as bad as those bottom-feeding teams, uh, but they do have a tough stretch of games coming up. And if Saquon's out, if Evan Ingram's out, and if Sterling Shepard's out, uh, th things might get worse before they get better. 26, I have the Atlanta Falcons. Uh, that win over the Eagles looks like a mirage right now because they are giving up 50 points left and right. They're not rushing the passer well. They're not defending the run well. And it's a weird indictment on the Eagles that they lost that game. I know it was on the road. I know it was a night game. But that's a bad look for the Eagles because Atlanta gave up 50 to the Texans. And they've given up a ton of points to Carolina and to basically Minnesota, to some teams that look like average teams, and they're blasting the Falcons. Uh, don't like Atlanta this year. I think I had them um, third in the division, and I could see them easily going last in the division now. 25 of the Pittsburgh Steelers. Uh, slightly ahead of Atlanta, only because they're down to their third-string quarterback, and I know the struggles of dealing with that. Uh, Mason Rudolph was dealt a serious blow to the head from the Ravens. Uh, kind of a cheap shot. But but don't ask the Ravens because they said it was perfectly legal. Um, I do think the Steelers will win a couple games. They might even upset the Ravens or the Browns somewhere along the line and uh, kind of throw a wrench into the AFC North. But uh, I see them losing a lot of games this year. They do seem kind of like poised for dysfunction. 24 of the Denver Broncos at 1-4. and four. Uh, This team, uh, they, they're a lot of bad luck. They had the Bears beaten. They had the Jacksonville Jaguars beaten. This could easily be a team that's 3-2 and two right now, but they are 1-4 and four because of bad luck. Uh, they did, however, beat the Chargers this week to get on the board. I think they have better football ahead of them. They run the ball well. Uh, Joe Flacco is just showing he's not uh, at the top of the quarterback list right now. 23, Tampa Bay Buccaneers. They're 2-3. and three. They've been competitive in a couple games. They've been less competitive in a couple, too. Uh, this is always going to be the case with Bruce Arians and Jameis Winston. I think they've kind of figured out the offense a little bit, but uh, I'm still not impressed. They had a big win over the Rams, but then they come back and they lose a game where, you know, to the Saints where they, I, I don't know, they, they, they blew their chances, and they still look a little undisciplined. Uh, a big week with the Carolina Panthers coming up before they go into their bye. Number 22, the Minnesota Vikings are 3-2. and two. Again, I don't know what to think about this team. You know, they beat the Raiders. They lose to the, the Bears. Um, they lose to the Packers. It, it, like, it seems like they're losing to the teams that they should lose to, but beating the teams they should beat. Uh, they beat the Giants this week, and I, I'm not really sure what they are yet. Kirk Cousins does not look that great. Dalvin Cook looks awesome. But for me right now, they're like the bottom 10 team because I just don't know. There's a lot of 3-2, and 2-3 two, two and three teams, and they're one of the teams I can't figure out. Okay, number 21, the Los Angeles Chargers. Uh, a couple bad luck here and there, but this team just, they should be better. 
This is a very disappointing team so far. I thought they'd be 4-1 at this point. But they had a tough luck loss uh, to Indianapolis. They had, or No, I'm sorry, they beat Indianapolis. But it was a uh, tough luck loss to the Detroit Lions. They had a tough one to D- Denver. They should be beating game, beating teams better. They should be, you know, winning in general. But uh, they have the Kansas City Chiefs twice. They have tough games with, uh, you know, they'll have Pittsburgh coming up. And uh, frankly, I'm not even sure if they should be favored in that game at this point. If if they're, you know, going to face the Steelers, I, I'm not so sure they're that much better than Pittsburgh right now. So. Uh, they could get on track, though. I think they might, and uh, they'll be a better team in the second half. But right now, it's just ugly. Number 20 of the Tennessee Titans. Another team that you're like, it's just disappointed in watching. You know, they they go out and they have a nice win over the Atlanta Falcons. Uh, now that's starting to seem like it's not all that impressive. That week one win at Cleveland, seemingly a mirage now. Uh, because outside of that, they really haven't played well. They got their butts handed to them in Jacksonville. Uh, they lost to Buffalo where they really just weren't playing all that well to begin with. And I don't really see them being a threat in the AFC South. I don't see them winning many games in that division now that they blew one to Jacksonville. Uh, I picked them to lose that division to come forth. I'm standing by it. Number 19, the Baltimore Ravens are 3-2. and two. Look, I know what you're saying. They're the lowest rated winning team. No, the Minnesota Vikings are lower, but the rank ranked 19th for a team that if the playoffs started today, they'd be in the playoffs. So what gives Jake? Well, their only tests they lost. Their only tests they gave up a lot of points to the Kansas City Chiefs and the Cleveland Browns. The other games, Pittsburgh, Miami, Arizona, those teams aren't competing. So the Ravens have not impressed me yet. And even in their win over Pittsburgh, which came by a field goal in overtime, it had to happen because Juju Smith fumbled at midfield and they kicked a field goal. So I'm not impressed. Lamar Jackson threw three interceptions in that game. Teams are figuring him out. Uh, Baltimore, they seem like destined for 8-8 eight and eight this season. And uh, frankly, I think 19 right now is where they belong. Number 18, the Chicago Bears also 3-2. and two. I mean, had they just held on and beaten Oakland, everything would be fine going into their bye week at 4-1. and one. But they've now lost to Oakland. They've lost to Green Bay. And they just don't seem like a team that has much of an offensive identity, much of a game plan. Uh, last year, they were very gimmicky and surprised a lot of teams. This year, no one's surprised. No one is surprised by the Chicago Bears. And uh, it, they, they really need to change things. Number 17 is the Jacksonville Jaguars. At two and three, I, uh, I I think they could be lower on this list, but they've had a little bit of magic from Minshew. Uh, lucky win over Denver, but at the same time, you could say that they could have a winning record right now. Uh, I just think that right now, we don't know a lot about them, so I'll give them 17. And 16, round to the first team to start the, the best half of this list, is the Cleveland Browns at two and three. Again, I told you guys plenty about the Browns before. They are, when things go bad, they get really bad for them. And when things are good, they have an identity and they're a playoff team. So I'm putting them smack dab in the middle right now. Even though I'm biased towards the Browns and I know how good they can be, 
This is just where they belong until they start to play more consistently good football. Remember, they don't have a streak this season. It's a win. It's a They start the season with a loss, fall with a win, fall with a loss, fall with a win, fall with a loss. They're very inconsistent right now. So that's why they're 16. Okay. 15. I have the Oakland Raiders. Now, uh, Raiders were one of my surprise teams so far this year. Yeah, they're a bit of a surprise. No one expected them to win week one against Denver. They did. Uh, nobody expected them to go to London and beat the Bears. They did. And nobody expected them to beat Indianapolis Colts. And they did that. The, those were three games that they didn't belong you know, winning. And all of a sudden, they have a winning record going into their bye. I think they're worthy of hanging around. And watch out for the Raiders. 14 is the Carolina Panthers. Uh, they're showing that with a healthy quarterback, this team is just fine. They are going to compete in the NFC South. That should be a really fun division to watch with them, the Saints, and the Bucks going down the stretch. But McCaffrey's playing like an MVP right now. And uh, if you draft him in fantasy, which I did, uh, you're a very happy guy right now. Number 13, Los Angeles Rams. Should be higher. They're a better team. They're super talented. But inconsistent play. They started out 3-0. Then they gave up 50 to, I mean, the 50 to the Bucks, and just looked so desperate in the whole the whole game then they come back and they they lose again they're just uh a bit all to seattle in a game where they should have had more chances defensively to put this game on ice um it's it's and and you add in the fact that they barely beat the browns and that the browns like you know really outplayed them that game rams are trending in the wrong direction uh, number 12, Indianapolis Colts. I like the Colts. I think they're going to, they beat the Chiefs on Sunday Night Football. Uh, and, and it's, you know what? They're going to be a playoff team. I don't know if they win the division or if they make it as a wild card. I said they'd be right on the cusp before, but I did not think they would beat the Chiefs at Kansas City. Now, add that to their projected total, that one more win. I think that gets them in. And I think it's really going to come down to how they do with Houston this year because I think they're going to clean up with Tennessee and Jacksonville and for the most part. And, um, yeah, I, I, I do see them as a playoff team, uh, at least give them a wild card. 11, Houston Texans right in front of them. I think that's going to be a fun race. Uh, if they figure out how to protect Deshaun Watson, which this week against Atlanta, he gave up zero sacks, that's a good thing. They scored 53 points. If, I mean, obviously this is the way for them to be playing. If they continue to protect him, their defense is good enough to get them to the playoffs. They're three and two. All right, top ten. Change the music for top ten. All right, top ten. Dallas Cowboys at three and two. I really want to put them lower. I look at the Texans, the Colts, and the Rams, and I want to put them all ahead of the Cowboys. But you know, the Cowboys played really good to start the season, and their last two losses came against two of the better teams in the NFC. So I think the two best teams in the NFC. So I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt that I give them number 10 in the rankings. But Dak Prescott, his stock has gone down the last few games. And I think the Cowboys are a team that they're going to beat the bad teams. They're going to lose to the good teams. And I think that's going to get them to 9-7 and seven and knock on the door of the playoffs, like I said in the preseason, but finish just short. Okay. Number nine, the Detroit Lions. Never thought I'd have them in my top ten. Uh, I had them as the best last place team this year. But they're 2-1-1. One one. Their one loss 
was against the Kansas City Chiefs where they really did have him on the ropes and they had him that game. Uh, I'm really curious to see them play against the Green Bay Packers on Monday Night Football. I'd like to see them compete with the best of their division because I think they have an offense that can compete with anyone. And their defense is getting a little slept on right now. They have a shutdown corner. They have a good defensive line. Why not, right? Why not the Detroit Lions? I had them as the best team and best last place team in the in in all of football, right? You know, of all the eight divisions, they were going to be the best one. But frankly, I don't think they're going to finish last anymore. I look at the Minnesota Vikings and I think they're better than them. Okay, number eight, the Philadelphia Eagles at three and two. I can't believe they lost the Atlanta Falcons now watching back at that game. You know, I know they're banged up. I know Carson Wentz was getting hit a lot, and I know it was kind of just a, a weird game down Atlanta. Nelson Aguilar drops that ball. I get it. You know, they win that game. They're 4-1. They came back and put a statement win on Green Bay Packers on the road, a game that they really couldn't afford to lose, uh, you know, early in the season. I mean, I guess they could afford to lose, but you get my point in that this was a statement win, and then they put it on the Jets this past week. Like I said, the, the Eagles are one of the more complete teams in the NFL. I have them going to the Super Bowl. I don't think that's the case anymore. I, I, I'll stick with my guns and say I did pick them to go to the Super Bowl. That was my preseason pick. Uh, I'm liking it less today, but I still like them to win the division, especially over the Cowboys. Number seven is the Buffalo Bills. Never thought I'd have them in the top 10. But they're 4-1. Their one loss is to is a tough game to the Patriots. And they just had a, an impressive win against the Tennessee Titans. Okay, So, yes, they have some wins over you know teams like the Giants and the Jets. But uh, you know they're going to be a team that competes with everybody because of their good defense and that they don't really turn the ball over a whole lot. Now, uh, you know, worry about Josh Allen's health. The way he plays, he's, he's going to be getting hit a lot. But I'm curious to see how they do against teams like the Baltimore Ravens and the Cleveland Browns because I think that's the tier they're in overall. They're ahead of them in the power rankings for now, but uh, let's see how we go down the season when they play better teams. Number six, I have the Seattle Seahawks. Really want to put them in my top five, but uh, you know I, I think this is an appropriate spot for them right now. Week one. Barely beat the Bengals. I kind of look at that as a fluke right now. Um, they beat the Rams in very impressive fashion on Thursday Night Football. And they're going to be going into Cleveland feeling like they are the best team and that they're being disrespected because of all the love that the Niners are getting today. Um, that's going to be a tough game for the Browns because the Seahawks are a really well-tuned machine, well-oiled machine. Jadeveon Clowney really starting to feel himself out there. Uh, I would be worried about the Seahawks. I think they're a playoff team. Top five. One of the last two undefeated teams, the San Francisco 49ers at 4-0. Again, I mentioned a little bit about them before. They're my number five team, but I know they're undefeated. They've only played four games. Three of them were against really bad teams. And the Browns, they got on early and never really had to do anything in that game. So, yes, have they answered every test that you've given them? Absolutely. Have they crushed it? Certainly. But I'm not going to put them as one of the top two teams in football until they show me that they can play with the big boys and they're going to get that chance. They have two games against the Seahawks, two games against the Rams, even two games against the Cardinals that I want to see them play well in. Uh, and, and you know what? When they play other top teams like 
these last few. We'll see. All right, number four, Green Bay Packers at four and one. Um, they a big statement went at Dallas. They they proved that Dallas was a little overrated, but they also proved that they're one of the top teams in the conference. Uh, I don't think they're afraid of Minnesota, and they had a huge win at Chicago to start the season. Uh, they're going to be a playoff team. They're four and one already, and I think they'll even be able to cover up for the loss of Javante Adams, no matter how long he's out. Aaron Jones, all of a sudden, uh, uh, Green Bay has their best running game that they've ever had in the Aaron Rodgers era. Uh, they can lean on him and ask Rodgers to just come up with the big plays when he needs and not have to carry the team the whole game. I think that's a huge recipe for winning. But the most important and, and impressive thing about the Green Bay Packers is by far their defense, especially their secondary play. I loved Jair Alexander coming out of Louisville. He was one of my all-Jake players of the year, and the way he talks trash and backs it up, he is glue to cornerbacks, and uh, he's the best from the 17 class. I'm sorry, the 18 class. Uh, they have found a real winner there. Their whole defensive backs are all really good. I think the best way to beat them, and the Eagles showed it, is to avoid the receivers, hit the tight ends, hit the running backs. But even their pass rush is strong. The Smith brothers were really getting after the, this past week against Dallas. And uh, I just really like the Green Bay Packers going forward. Really close to putting them as my top team in the NFC. My number one team in the NFC, the number three overall team, is the New Orleans Saints at 4-1. and one. Um, Look, they just showed that their only loss this year was at L.A. in a game where they had a huge turnover uh, you know, fumble recovery, return for a touchdown, get called back, which is shocking considering it was against the Rams that you know the refs would blow it again. But their only loss was that game where they had a huge touchdown called back, um, it, it, and, uh, and and they had to switch quarterbacks mid game because of Drew Brees getting hurt. Outside of that game, they had a big tough week one win against Houston. They showed up this past week against Tampa. They showed up against Dallas. They won at Seattle. This is That's the best accumulation of four wins, period. I mean, the most impressive victories of all of this season have been what New Orleans has been able to do. They beat Tampa, who's a decent team. They beat Dallas, who's a good team. They beat Seattle, who's a good team. And they beat Houston, who's a good team. And they lost a road team to a good team. I mean, and their and their schedule will get easier. Uh, I know the NFC South is going to be really uh, like competitive this year, but the Saints have been the most impressive team in the NFC so far, and one of the best teams in the NFL. Number two is the Kansas City Chiefs. I think you could pretty much guess that by where this list was going. Um, this was a tough loss to Indianapolis. I think they'll bounce back. Uh, Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid is proving that it's not the receivers and the playmakers that make this offense go. It's quarterback and it's protecting the quarterback. Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid are good enough that any receiver can work in this offense. You don't need Sammy Watkins. He's not that good. You don't need even uh, Tyreek Hill. You need guys that just run this offense well. Have them know what they're doing and have them be blazing fast, which those guys grow on trees. Running backs can do whatever. Damian Williams, LaShawn McCoy, I mean, what are they, the 30th and 40th best running backs in the NFL? Yes, this offense will go. Just keep the line healthy, healthy and hopefully uh, Chris Jones comes back healthy too because they really can't afford to lose him 
they do need him. He, he is the linchpin of that defense. But the Kansas City Chiefs, they're going to get a bye in the AFC, and uh, they'll be the best chance at dethroning the number one team, the New England Patriots. Now, Patriots are 5-0. and It's not – look, has it been impressive? Absolutely. But they haven't played anybody yet. And I'm not trying to get on Patriot fans who are like, oh, come at me with this. And chill out. Calm down. They're the best team in the NFL. Their defense has been great. Um, I don't think it's as good as their insane numbers suggest. But I still think it's one of the best defenses in the league. Statistically, yes, it is by far one of the best we've ever seen. But I think that's because they got to play the Jets. They got to play the Dolphins. Um, the Bills' offense is not all that good, and they got to trounce them a little bit. And this week, uh, they'll play the Giants after beating the Redskins last week. So, I get it. And, and the the Steelers' week one are not the Steelers that we have grown grown to know. So, they have not played an impressive offense yet, but they will. They will get teams. They will have to beat the Ravens. They will. Um, they will have to beat the Texans. They will have to beat the Browns even, uh, who I think can play a better game. So. The, the harder games are coming for the Patriots, but for now, I think that's uh, that that's all that can be said about this. Is they are clearly num- the number one team. They uh, they're probably going to be the number one team all throughout the year. It's going to be about who can upset them. All right. Now before I let you go, got to get a couple couple things out there. Uh, big weekend coming. Huge weekend. I'm going to Texas, Oklahoma for the Red River Rivalry. Red River Shootout, Red River Showdown, whatever they're calling it now. Sam got me tickets for my 30th birthday. I'm so jazzed. I'm so pumped. The two of us are going. We're going to the Pecan Lodge to get some barbecue. We're going to watch the Browns on Sunday probably. We're going to be bouncing around at the Texas State Fair all weekend. And we're going to watch some great football between the number 11 and number 16 in the country. It's exciting. I'm super pumped. This has been a bucket list item for me. It's one of my favorite college football rivalries. Now, you might be wondering, what are your favorite college football rivalries, Jake? You're super into college football. There's so many we don't know about. What are the best rivalries? Well, I'll tell you, in this week's Jake Brainy Top 10 special, not even a top five, okay? All right, so my favorite top 10 college football rivalries, the, I, the way I determine this is by points, all right? I gave points for your rivalry based on interstate slash neighboring. I gave you extra points if you are close to that team or if it, you share the same state, if you're the only two state schools, if your like borders are, are attached, it's whatever. Like I, I give points to that. Next thing is, do you have a trophy? Do you have a great rivalry name? I'll get to those because there are some good ones. The third one would be if there's some religious or status involvement, right? And I'll get to that in a little bit too because sometimes rivalries go beyond just location and games. Sometimes it matters where you live and who you are and what the people in the community perceive you as because that goes past football and that lives 24-7. Next would be the longevity and the history and the frequency of the games that they play. Have they played great games? Uh, would have been, you know, has it really thrown them off? Is, has it, is it tight? Is it a blowout? And then the final thing would be national title relevancy. How much has this played into the national picture? Okay, so going into those, my number 10 
Lehigh Lafayette. Now, you might think, why this? What? Why Lehigh Lafayette? Like, this is not one that I would tend to think about. It's you know not really big schools, but it is known as the rivalry. All right, and it's the longest known rivalry in college football. They've played in a uh, hundred and fifty, I think, four or fifty-five times. Maybe this year is the one hundred fifty-fifth time, and uh, they've played in over a hundred and twenty consecutive years. Always playing like that Thanksgiving time, Thanksgiving weekend. This deserves to be on the list. That's my number ten, and I've been to this game. My co- uh, my good friend Bill was at uh, went to Lehigh, and uh, we went to visit one time, and and yeah, this was a, a really fun time getting to go see um, one of the oldest rivalries in football. Number nine is Bedlam, the Bedlam series, Oklahoma versus Oklahoma State. Now, the really cool thing about this is it goes beyond football. And whoever wins the Bedlam series has to win more than just the football game. Now, this does get like, you know, the football game is obviously going to get a little more pub because it's football. Uh, But, you know, they share the same state. They're pretty close in proximity. A lot of things go into Oklahoma and Oklahoma State and the Bedlam series being uh, as cool as it is, especially since there have been a couple upsets. Now, Oklahoma leads the all-time series 88-18, to which is a huge gap including a 75-0 victory in the first ever game played between the two in 1904. But what goes really cool into this is a, is a very cool story. Um, in the first ever game, it was really cold, it was windy, it was, it was below freezing, and in the game, there was a punt that was so bad that it carried the ball backwards behind the punter. And uh, Oklahoma State had to go recover the ball for a touchback, but it or else it would have been you know would have been a touchdown if Oklahoma recovered it. But the ball rolled down a hill into a frozen creek. This was before you know stadiums were like a thing, so you're playing outside of a creek. So instead, since a touchdown was at stake, the teams jumped into the water of the creek to recover the football, like frozen icy waters. Oklahoma came up with the ball, downed it for a touchdown, and eventually won this game 75-0. But that just shows the history of the bedlam there. And I think that's really cool, and I think that should be mentioned here. So, all right, moving on to number eight, the Iron Bowl, Auburn-Alabama, Alabama-Auburn. I mean, I I think all that has been said about this is out there. If you watch Roll Tide, War Eagle, um, the ESPN 30 for 30, it explains everything. These two teams, they're very close in proximity, both the state of Alabama. The national titles out of these two, and, and just the, the fact that they play into the national title scene right now, too, should not be ignored. Um, Auburn has one loss this year. Alabama's undefeated. That game at the end of the season is really going to determine who makes it out of the SEC West if either of them make it. Um, you know, you can't afford to lose to your, you know, your rival on that Thanksgiving weekend. So there have been multiple times where that game really has determined the national champion. So I think that should be said and that has to go into it. Number seven, uh, this was a little out there. The Floyd of Rosedale. Probably wondering what the hell is the Floyd of Rosedale. But in Big Ten country, you get a lot of these, uh, you get a lot of these weird rivalries, including Iowa and Minnesota, all right? And the Floyd of Rosedale is a pig, a big iron pig on a trophy because 
1934, uh, there was like this, there was a bit of like a racist thing going on because one of the tailbacks was, was black and, and was being treated poorly and like, and eventually led to, um, like a lot of late hits afterwards and it, it, it like a lot of animosity towards the, uh, towards both teams because of these like, you know, race baiting remarks and stuff. But it, it later led to a like friendly, like almost, uh, olive branch of some sort where the governors of the two state state states, excuse me, governors of the two states wanted to, uh, go into a friendly wager and the, winner of the game would get a prize pig like the you know and and back in back in the 30s and 40s a prize pig meant a lot apparently so the winner of the game would get the other team's prize pig and the pig's name was Floyd uh after the Minnesota governor Floyd and uh and he was from the Rosedale farm so therefore the trophy that was passed that therefore back and forth afterwards was known as the Floyd of Rosedale. I just think it's a little cool. It's not like a rivalry I care about all that much, but I think one of the great things about college football is there's these rivalries all over the place and we don't know everything about them and I just think it's super cool. So um, it, there's a lot to learn. I would look up other rivalries to see which ones you like. Uh, number six this maybe just gets it based on how cool the name is, but I'm going to go with good old-fashioned hate. UGA versus G-Tech. Again, the name of the game is known as good old-fashioned hate. There's not much to be said. They share the same state. Uh, there have been titles, national titles, between the two teams determined by this game you you know you can't lose this game if you want to win the national title which both teams have had um georgia is it seems like they've never really been all that competitive at the same time or at least that hasn't been the case in a while but i do like the fact that these two teams really bring it when they play each other all right this leads me to my top five uh my number five is the outdoor cocktail party that is played between Georgia and Florida. Now, um, <laughs> you're probably wondering why it gets that name, but I think uh, I, I think it's it has to do more with like the way that they play, uh, or the way that like they dress and crap like that. Uh, world's largest outdoor cocktail party, excuse me, that's what it's called. But they play at a neutral site, they play in Jacksonville, and again, this is another game that comes down to. Uh, it has national title implications a lot of times. Uh, when the Tim Tebow years, UGA was kind of like the younger brother, but had you know kind of thrown a wrench into their plans a few times, including the year that they scored first and the entire team came out to celebrate the touchdown. One of my favorite moments in college football history is when they did that. I mean, that is just straight up, we don't like you, and we're going to shove it in your face right from the get-go. I thought that was awesome. So one of my favorite things is the Florida Georgia game. That's coming up too. That should be a good one, uh, in you know in in uh, a couple weeks I think. So number four, I'm going with the Holy War played between BYU and Utah. All right, again, this one's not actually as national title implications as some would say, but they've played a hundred times. 
Utah is 62-34-4. They're only 50 miles apart. And uh, they do have a national title. BYU won in 84. Utah claims the 2008 one, even though they didn't actually win the national title. It was a BCS year that Florida won. But uh, what I really like about this is what uh, one of the coaches said. Uh, he said there's too much religion involved and that it got a little weird. And to me, I'm like, that's interesting. And I looked it up, and I'm like, okay, so the Church of Latter-day Saints owns and operates BYU, while Utah University is run by the state. So it's kind of like a church versus state type situation. If you're a kid in Utah and you go to one of these schools, you're basically picking at that point. And I love it, I think. Uh, And they've played some good games. Again, sometimes it's been one-sided where one team is good and the other team isn't. But I do really appreciate the fact that there's more than football that goes into this. And this is what I was talking about earlier when I say religion or you know other things that go into it. So uh, I think that's really cool. All right, so number three, we're getting down to the really good ones. I got Notre Dame versus USC, okay? I could have picked a lot of Notre Dame ones. I um, could pick them against Purdue or Michigan or uh, like, like they – you know, uh, University of Miami, Georgia Tech. Notre Dame has a lot of really long-running rivalries, but the one that sticks out to me the most is USC, uh, mainly because when I was a senior in high school, the Bush push was a thing, and USC was a team that seemed unbeatable, and I was a huge Brady Quinn fan at the time, Jeff Samarja, um, and, and they just looked like a team that could take them down, and it came down to a goal-line stand, and... We thought we had them. We thought the clock ran to zero. I saw the clock go to zero. I started celebrating, but my dad was like, "That's you know, it's it's not the case just yet. Hold on." And Reggie Bush pushed Matt Liner into the end zone, which was illegal at the time to do that. They shouldn't have called it a touchdown, but Matt Liner scored. They won and uh, would eventually play in a national title game where Notre Dame fell just short. You know, uh, or where I'm sorry, where USC just fell. Um, Notre Dame fell just short of making the national title game. But again, you know, that's a great rivalry. They're playing this weekend, USC and Notre Dame. Notre Dame should be a lot better than them, but they've had a lot of great matchups in the past. And it's cool because, you know, it, it originally started because Notre Dame's coach, the wives of Notre Dame's coach and USC's coach, got together and tried to convince the two coaches to play a game in California. Uh, because it would be really nice to get a game in California at the end of the season. And uh, it eventually led to them wanting to do a home-and-home rivalry forever. And that led them into doing a home-and-home with Stanford as well. So the uh, Notre Dame always goes to California in November. And that was kind of the idea is that they get out of Indiana. Uh, They host Stanford or USC in the second weekend of, of October. And the other one they travel to. In November, so I always thought that was pretty cool. And uh, again, it was I had to put one of the Notre Dame rivalries on here. They have so many good ones, uh, the USC one, which they do play for the Golden Shillelagh, I think. But uh, you know that actually, I'm not entirely sure which the name of that one because they have so many. They have a Golden Shillelagh, they have a Jeweled Shillelagh. Uh, oh, this was the Jeweled Shillelagh. Okay, great. So this is the Jeweled Shillelagh. They've, they've played 90 times. Notre Dame leads 46 to 36 and 5. And 
yeah, I mean, uh, there you go. The trophy itself is 32 and 29 in favor of Notre Dame. So, uh, so we'll see. Again, uh, I expect Notre Dame to win that matchup this weekend. All right, going down to the top two. I can go a lot of ways with these. Um, number two, Notre Dame. No, kidding. Uh, Ohio State and Michigan, known as the game. All right. Look, this one. It's had a lot of national title implication in recent years, mostly for Ohio State, but uh, you know Michigan has had some great teams, and you know both of them seemingly eyeing for the college football playoffs in the past few years. But it's just one of those cases where Ohio State hasn't been able to afford to lose this game. If you lose this game to end your regular season, you're probably not going to the championship. That's just the you know the the case, and usually. There are national title implications. It uh, it has the most national titles among any Power Five schools between two teams, and uh, you know between Michigan and Ohio State, you have two of the winningest programs ever. You have two of the longest storied fr- fran- uh, franchises, schools ever in in terms of football. So it, there's a lot that goes into this. I know it's been a one sided affair in recent years in terms of Ohio State being like. The team that has always won this game, Urban Meyer and uh, and Jim Tressel, have basically dominated Michigan in recent years. But um, I, I do think that it still holds up as one of the better rivalries, especially since th- these two teams really do hate each other. They're not in the same state. They are neighboring states. All right, and that leads me to my number one, uh, and that's the Red River Showdown. Uh, it's... I've always considered Texas and Oklahoma to be like the top rivalry out there. There are some great rivalries in the South. There are some great rivalries in this conference alone. But uh, th- this one just to me has always stuck out as one of my favorites. There are 11 national titles between the two schools. They've met 114 times where Texas actually has the lead 62-47-5. to 47 and, five. and uh and it's just the fact that it's known as the Red River. They play in the neutral site of the Cotton Bowl. And split down the center, you have Burnt Orange on the south and Crimson on the north. And we're going to be part of that. It happens during the Texas State Fair. A lot of times it comes down to, you know, the loser of this game. It kind of just messes their whole season up. It's like if you can't afford to lose this game. You know, it, you might as well just pack it up. So I'm excited to go see this game. Uh, it, it's, it's a big one for me. It's a big bucket list item to go to the Cotton Bowl. I couldn't be happier about this weekend, and I'm really, really, really pumped up for it. So I'm going to let you know how it goes. I bet it's going to be great. Uh, honorable mention for this list, you got the Egg Bowl, Ole Miss and Mississippi State. Uh, I think that's a fun one named after the trophy that they get, which was the original football that kind of looked like a giant egg. The Territorial Bowl, which is a, another in-state rivalry of Arizona-Arizona State, and the Civil War between Oregon and Oregon State, uh, and the and the Apple Cup, which is which is a trophy filled with apples played between Washington and Washington State. Uh, th- those are some West Coast ones that I really do like that I think uh, don't get enough credit, and I, I'm looking forward to watching and finding out a little bit more about this year, uh, that Thanksgiving weekend. I want to, you know, get more games in and find out uh you know about these these other ones big 10 has like a thousand uh you know the battle for paul bunyan's axe uh which which is um 
which is between Minnesota and Wisconsin, and they put the name of the winner on the axe, and the axe just gets longer and longer and longer. Uh, Nebraska, Oklahoma is a really good one. You have Michigan and Michigan State, which is now like the little little brother bowl, and they uh, they pass around like a literally a Paul Bunyan trophy. There are so many ones. I didn't even mention any of the Ivy Leagues. You get Harvard, you get Yale, you get Princeton, you get Penn. For so many years, they were the ones that anchored college football. Before it got to the South and the West, it was in the Northeast in the Ivy Leagues. And the reason that Yale and Princeton have so many national championships, I think 15 and 12 respectively, is because there weren't many teams that they competed with at the time. But I do appreciate and respect the fact that that's where football started and that without them, we wouldn't have what we have now. So respect it, okay? Florida, Florida State, how about that one? It's great. There have been four in recent years that came down to missed kicks, wide left, wide left part two, wide left part three, and wide right. Um, you know, Steve Spurrier, you know, has been a big part of this one. Even Jimbo Fisher and Urban Meyer, uh, and they've had a lot of pros come through that one. You know, Florida, Florida State's a good one. Uh, you also get the backyard brawl of Pitt and West Virginia. That's a fun one. That's always a little bit, uh, I'll say violent. Uh, I could go on for days and days of different ones. And maybe I'll get into five underrated rivalries later in the season. I think that's something I should definitely do. That'll be a good good one. But you've got my top ten. I think that's it. Um, and and I, I'm just really excited to see my number one in this year's, uh, you know, in this weekend. Hell, so it's going to be a really fun time. going to be a really exciting time with uh, Sam and uh, – really close out uh, and go into football season like that. All right, one minute left in the podcast. That means one-minute movie review starting right now. I saw Hustlers last week, and to be honest, it wasn't bad. I thought it was going to be the J-Lo show. Uh, It was not. She was the supporting actress. She wasn't the main actress. I guess they just used her to get people in the theater. Constance Wu was the main character, and she did a great job. The story was bonkers pretty wild and i thought the movie itself was pretty good um i really thought j-lo was gonna dominate the screen and make me hate it she did not uh she actually did a pretty good job of acting and the movie itself was entertaining and uh a really cool story not much else to go into this one i know it's a little crazy that i think i'm gonna say this because i really didn't want to see this movie but i kept on hearing good things i'm giving this movie an 81 i think it was decent and uh, you know what? I just thought it was a pretty good movie. Thought it was pretty good. Probably thought it was decent. Thought the story was awesome. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I really don't have many complaints. I, I would put it higher if uh, if if it didn't seem like it was so obvious what was going to happen. And uh, I kind of thought some things were a little cliched throughout the movie. I kind of want to give it an 84. So I think I'm going to give it an 84. I put a little little L right on that one to make it an 84. But good movie. I don't have many complaints about this other than the fact that it's just a decently good movie. So um, everyone, thank you for watching, watching, listening to the Jake Podcast. It's now 8.30. I've been doing this way too long. It's an hour and a half podcast. Yeesh. I hope you like football if you listen to this one. All right. And, uh, and I got to go. So thank you again. And I'll talk to you guys next week.